Welcome to the Queer Confidence Podcast, the podcast to help you become your most confident queer self. I'm your host, he, she, they, Coach Alex Ray, and I haven't always been this confident. In fact, I used to be super insecure. And through this show, I want to share with you what's worked for me, my clients, and my guests so that you can become more confident. Hello, my unicorns. I am so excited to have you back for another special guest episode. Today, I have with me on the podcast, Melissa Gonzalez. She is a financial planner, and today she is going to help us figure out our finances, get things zhuzhed up, and plan for our financial futures. So welcome to the Queer Confidence Podcast, Melissa. I love it. I love it. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. Glad to be here. welcome. Thanks for being here with us. Of course, of course. All right, we have a lot of questions to cover, and we've got questions from the audience too. So before we get to all of the questions, I want to know a little bit more about your background, your financial upbringing, and and kind of the lessons you've gone through personally. Yeah, taking me way back now, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I am born and raised in, in San Diego. I have three sisters. I grew up in a household filled with women, three sisters, my mom, my grandma, even our our dogs, our pets were always, always female. So it was very female dominant household. And we grew up in a very, I, I think I shared this with you, I think over coffee one time where we talked about how I grew up in a very humble upbringing, mm. economic upbringing, and we didn't have much. However, we had a lot of support from other people. Um, so like the schools that we attended, my mom volunteered to help us have a private education growing up, which I really do believe played a significant role in how we grew up. And because of the area that that we grew up in, was it maybe the the best, the best, just the, the best area. And growing up, money was something that we just never really talked about. We kind of shied away about it. And money, if you had a lot of money, it was kind of alluded that you were a maybe a bad person or it was kind of evil to have money. So grew up with that up, same had, message. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens often. And it also depends on the, depends on your upbringing and the culture, things like that. And for a very long time, I struggled with that growing up that, the what did I not have? Mm. And then again, growing up, experiencing working really at a young age, started working at age 15 work through work part of high school, work through college, everything. And what I loved about my experience now as an adult is I love the work ethic that I built earlier on. And then the exposure I had about money to help me, to help me grow a little bit. And my grandma helped me. So I remember my grandma helped me get, get my first car. So she co-signed awesome. the car with me. So that was so amazing. And I was fortunate, but she also, she trusted me. She knew my character. She knew again, that I was working hard, good, good student, all that stuff. So she trusted me. So that really helped me start building to start build my credit. Then one of my, my oldest sister also taught me a little bit about credit. And then that's how my call it. My passion for finance really started was just Mm -hmm. starting to learn something that was really not talked about earlier on in life. And I realized that money is a tool. And there was things that I wanted to do to be able to help my future family and then my current family, everything. 
So that's how that's that's a little bit about my call it my background. Yeah. My, yeah. I would love to hear a little bit more. And it sounds like you already kind of covered this a little bit, but like what would you say to someone who has a similar upbringing where they feel like, okay, if you have money, then you're kind of evil, something's wrong with you. And now they're also like, well, how do I break through that mindset? Cause I'm realizing I don't like having the lack of money either. <laughs> That's such a good question. That's something that I really personally was very challenged with for a very long time that when I realized that money is a tool and that money does not make anyone a good person, does not make anyone a bad person. It's just mm. a transfer of energy. That's the way I, I look at, I look at money now. And I, I look at, again, if it's a tool, what does it provide you? And of course, if you're it's like inside, if you're a good person, you're a good person. Like, yeah. so it's, I, it, it's, it's, I can't say that it's something that you, someone can just develop overnight and say that they're maybe the, the lack mentality turns into an abundance mentality, but it's doing affirmations, the the positive, positive affirmation statements to yourself, and then learning about all the good things that money can do in someone's life first in your own household, how it can really help provide the life that you really want. Does it necessarily, does not have to be at all something that's like a lavish lifestyle. But, and again, sometimes I think we automatically believe that money equals lavish lifestyle and that's right. not the case. So it's like, whatever is important to you, then dig a little deeper into it, focus on positivity, and then little by little, let go about all the many things that maybe we were taught earlier on in life about how money is, is bad. We end up identifying that, that, those things aren't true, mm. uh, but it takes a while to figure that out. There's like this religion to money almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and these like spooky boogeyman stories we believe about, about money, but they really do. St- I mean, I wish they sounded that silly in, in my head, but oftentimes they don't. They seem mm-hmm. very real and very true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, totally. Is there anything else that we should know that you'd like to share so that we can get to know you a little bit more in your, your background? Yeah. So I'm part of the the, the community as well. So I came out when I was in my early twenties, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Maricela, who you've met. We have a lot of furry children. We have two cats, two dogs. We're very family oriented. And mm-hmm. one thing that's been very important for me as I continue my career is really helping diverse professionals. And that mm-hmm. includes LGBTQ plus community. And I'm just so happy that I have this opportunity to, to just help so many people in this space. And I like the way I like, I like kind of saying like, I'm helping my people, right. Whether it's, yeah. whether it's LGBTQ plus or it's diverse families or individuals. Yeah. I'm really happy about that. Oh, that's amazing. I feel like there's so much trust that you build too by just having shared identities mm-hmm. with people. Like I would so much rather work with someone in the community than I would someone outside the community that doesn't necessarily understand my struggles or that like I might have to experience awkward microaggressions just by like 
having a conversation that in my head doesn't isn't supposed to go yeah. there, but <laughs> somehow does. Yeah, somehow it does. And I've received that feedback before from from clients, either I've met, I'm meeting them for the first time and they say that I, I saw your website or I saw your LinkedIn and they say that they like the, 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 I often get like the authenticity and that I'm very forward that I am welcoming these communities to, to our practice versus saying that maybe sometimes financial planners, financial advisors have a very niche market where they only help a certain type of individual. And that's something that just never, I never, I never felt really good about that Mm. starting this business. And I always just wanted to really help those that I saw that needed a little bit more, maybe they were under, underserved, underhelped, underrepresented. Yeah. That's amazing. I would all, I would love to hear too if you're willing to share whatever you're willing to share just about your coming out journey. What mm-hmm. was that like for you? Such a good question. Okay, so it was in my early 20s. So so I'm one of four four girls, so three sisters, and I one day I decided to actually tell one of my sisters. Mm-hmm. And I remember I think we were it was one bathroom for the entire house and we were in the bathroom together. She's probably like doing her makeup or something. And then I tell her and she, her response was kind of like, duh. Like I knew this already. <laughs> like, Oh geez. Really? <laughs> yeah. That was, it was funny. It was funny. So I told one sister, then told another person, then another person. I eventually told my grandma <laughs> and my grandma was the one that I was most concerned about. Like, I'm not sure. Very, um, she was born in Mexico, became a U.S. citizen in the States maybe 30 years ago. Maybe I might be off at the time and had a very strict way of looking at things. And yeah. I thought that that was going to be very challenging. And she was so accepting. It was, mm. I'm very, very blessed with my coming out story. Very, very blessed, fortunate about all the support that I had from family. And we joke about it that a lot of folks say that hey, we knew this already. We were just waiting for you to, like, we were waiting for you to say it. So yeah. it was like, wait, why didn't you tell me? They're like, that's your story to tell. Like, okay, that makes total sense. I love that. I'm so glad for you that you had such supportive family there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's absolutely incredible. And I, I, I think that's not always like the narrative that we hear about our community. And I love to be able to hear different stories so that we can really show like, Hey, it doesn't, not everyone's experience is terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Can be very good and connecting. Would you say your, your relationship, how did your relationship like with your family change after coming out? I don't think it changed much. I don't think it, I don't, I think it was kind of like you said that one of your family members was like, okay, like let's move on now. It's not a big deal. I huh. think, I think that's the majority of my relationships were like that and that everybody was just supportive. And then it's like the end is like, it's still me. Mm. I'm still the same person. I'm still the same human, the same relationship. Yeah. So I, I, I'm very, very, very fortunate. Cause I know that that's not the case for a lot of people. And yeah, yeah I'm just thinking like, when did I maybe not have those experiences I could say professionally sometimes 
in my mm. earlier earlier career I was it was at times very challenging to uh, be in a professional environment and then I constantly am asked what does your husband do or what is your again what does your boyfriend do and then those comments mm-hmm. or I'm also Hispanic, so I speak Spanish. So in my previous career, sometimes I would speak Spanish because of the client that I had in front of me, and I'd get feedback on the, on that, like, "Hey, you're you're in a you're you're in you're in a you're in the United States. So you should speak English." Or the <laughs> like those types of comments. So I I received that. I received yeah. that. I received some stuff about being being a lesbian, mm. and I got a lot of the "You're too pretty for that." You're too like. Like, oh, you haven't been with them. You haven't been with, you haven't been with the right man. So it's like, I got a lot of in the professional environment. So more personally, not, not so much. It was professionally that I had to figure out how to navigate through it. So now I'm very forward about who I am and Mm -hmm. my needs. It just, it's just part of the conversation. Like if someone says something about their spouse, then I'd say, oh, like my wife and I, so I just mentioned it. Yeah make it a part of the conversation. And if whatever reason they don't like it, then I know that we're not the right fit together. Like, and that's perfect. So I I'm feel very like the, the plan for today was to focus on financial confidence. However, I feel like you just gave everyone just such a great tool right there for mm-hmm. confidence, just in your identity as a queer person. Yeah. Mo- yeah. I have found like this similar things where the more that I hit it in the past, the more insecure I felt and the more forward I was about it, the more confident I felt. And the same thing I see in my clients as well. Like it's when you hide it, then you have all the opportunity for people to, to be like unintentionally an asshole to you. Mm-hmm. When you lead with it, you can find out very quickly Mm-hmm. where they stand and say goodbye yeah. <laughs> if, you, if they're not a good fit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's it's, it's an abundance, right? Yeah. It's an abundance. I always say like people are choosing to work with me and my team, but I'm also mm-hmm. choosing who to onboard yeah. to as, a, as yeah. a client. And we look for shared values. We look for mm. that, that that's very important. You can have all the money in the world, but if you're not a nice person, we probably don't want you as a client. And again, that's just, that's just more of like, just about we're a value driven practice on how we're helping people. But being forward, it's on LinkedIn website on the zoom or any other, other call it virtual tools that anyone uses. I always use my pronouns, my, on my email signature goal is just to make it very apparent. And that it's also a safe space too. That all that typically opens a door where someone else might feel a little bit more comfortable sharing some more, some more personal information with me than maybe mm-hmm. if I didn't have that. Amazing. Okay, should we get into like the finance stuff? Let's give everyone the the full like financial overhaul today. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> give them a starting place. I know what the question was that I was forgetting earlier. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is like a great spot to to kick things off here. I, for a long time, and it, it's a reoccurring thing, I just finally re, 
did my budget after hiding from it since yeah. almost a year. Oh. And I, I had had one for a little bit before and I go in and out. One of the things that reoccurs for me is I have a lot of fear of looking at my finances. I have this mindset and I'm sure there are other people listening that maybe have something too. So I want to hear your input on it of, well, if I just close my eyes, it's probably going to be okay. So why look at it? Because if I look at it, it's just pure anxiety. That's such a good question. And absolutely, you're not alone. That's so common. So, so common. So one, I like that you have the, but I like that you've, you've created a budget and it's so hard to stick to a budget sometimes. I think it's just human nature yeah. to, that we don't want to, right? I uh, love that you did it. And then I think it's like, so I think of like any type of goal, whether it's a career goal or financial goal, or maybe it's some other, maybe it's any other goals in life. A lot of times we, we place, we put this goal out there and normally what gets tracked gets done. Right. Mm. So mm-hmm. If we do pay attention to, again, maybe looking at that budget, right. We have to start. Oh, I'm sorry. If we're not paying attention to that, like let's start asking ourselves what's holding us back. What is causing this fear and understand what that root cause is. And what happens is a lot of times we're in this lack mentality Mm-hmm. that we're thinking of the what we don't have versus the we're so grateful that we do have X, Y, Z. So I'm thinking of again, whether you, whether someone has a job, right. Where they're getting paid every two weeks or every month, however they get paid or someone's self-employed, however you're getting paid, someone is still trusting you to pay you. Mm. So it's like, receiving i always look at it, it's like you're you're always providing some something whether wherever it is that you work or self-employed you're providing a value somehow mm-hmm. and you're getting paid for that so i think focusing on what's really positive about it versus the the lack and i think it's so hard to mm. it's, it's, it's easier said than done right but so i think one is like acknowledging that piece is that what is it what's causing the fear and maybe digging into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is having some type of goal or a goal in place about what we're paying, right? Whether we're looking at our expenses for maybe it's just to put money into a savings or maybe to pay some bills, maybe it's to pay some credit cards, whatever it is. It's that if we don't feel like we're making progress, a lot of times we just naturally human behaviors to avoid, avoid it. Mm -hmm. So I'd say having some type of target a lot of times helps alleviate it because there's a target and then there's some level of a plan associated with how am I going to save this money or pay this bill or pay this card off? Like if there's a plan, then you have like the end in sight, then becomes, then we start seeing it differently. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. kind of ramble there, but that's kind of how I'm, I'm taking that one. I love that answer. It, I mean, and when I think about it for myself, I used to work out like that was my main thing. A lot of people that follow me still know f- me from the fitness yeah. world. The like what I would what you said about tracking really reminded me of how I used to really 
track, you know, my deadlift, my snatch, which is not anything naughty. It's a CrossFit move. It's <laughs> not anything naughty here. Uh, I mean, we do talk naughty on the podcast, so we can we can definitely talk about that. But <laughs> deadlifts, squats, like all of the all of the different movements, like I would qu- track, the, you know, what what was my lift, mm. and would over time watch that number grow and I was intentional about trying to like get stronger and mm-hmm. I did and I think the same thing if I never even knew what was on the barbell and if I never actually like wrote it down or looked back I also wouldn't have had any of the satisfaction of oh look I actually lifted more this week than I did a month or two ago mm-hmm. I think applying some of that same mentality for yep. me is a really great framework for finances. That's so good. Oh. That's so, good. so thank you for that. Okay. Next question I have for you is how are, how is the financial challenges or financial planning challenges that queer folks need to plan for? How are those different? That's a good one. Um, so I think one budgeting absolutely is a big topic. The other one is estate planning Mm. so estate planning that's a big one because it also depends on what state you live in whether you're in california or you're in a in a different state so i think of estate planning because there are added components that make it a little bit more challenging for same-sex couples Mm -hmm. so for our community i so that would include having a will or a trust or having the right beneficiaries in place, healthcare directives. Like I've, I've heard the stories from, from clients and like from other, from other areas that something happened with their partner, but they don't have rights to go visit them at a hospital. They don't have mm-hmm. rights to, to help financially, to have access to bank accounts, to help pay bills because they're not on an account, but there's no power of attorney. So there's these nuances if for our community. So that's one. And then also just every state is different. So I think of like even adoption. Mm-hmm. So in some states, you don't have like one person doesn't, if again, assuming same sex couple, they don't have to adopt the the child. But in another state, if the adoption, if the if one parent is not legally a parent, there can be some issues there. Mm. If the, let's just assume child goes to a field trip to a different state and then something happens that wasn't supposed to happen, Mm -hmm. there might be some issues there. So estate planning is huge in our community. I can say it's often overlooked, Yeah, often overlooked, uh, but really important to address this, important to address that. And then you asked like some other, like, I think it was like nuances or other challenges that LGBTQ plus individuals families face also just the family like growing a family if that's important right Mm -hmm. to to the to the individual to the couple it's not like i'll give myself as an example my my wife her name is maricela it's not like maricela and i can wake up one day and say like hey let's make a baby tonight like we just can't right do that like we just can't right Um, there's a little more planning involved yeah it's just like it's just so it's not gonna. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. So we really have to plan it. Then it's the who are we going to contact? Who are we going to trust? Who has experience working with 
same-sex couples. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then it's how much is this going to cost? Then it's the insurance. Mm -hmm. Does some employers have really great coverages in this space? Some employers don't. Mm -hmm. Then there's the also like thinking about maternity leave, right? If you're not married, can you both take maternity leave? Like, how does that work? So these, all these little nuances, but that can really affect someone's life Mm -hmm. financially. And then what is another one? The, I'd say an emergency fund safety, like a safety net, LGBTQ plus individuals are recommended to have a higher emergency fund than our heterosexual counterparts. Sure. And the reason, one reason is because there's a higher probability that we would experience some type of workplace uh, harassment. So then we have a higher probability of being out of work and then meaning, and then statistically we have more debt. Mm. So there's just like, this cycle. So it's like having those strong safety nets is really can play a, can play a significant role long-term in short-term or long-term. Yeah. That's really, that's really good to think about like all of those things, particularly the one standing out to me is like having that bigger safety net and knowing like, Oh, okay. Hey, that's, it's more, it's important for us to have a larger safety net than we might be if we're not seeking out queer centered or or yeah queer centered advice on our finances we may not be aware of these nuances Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are there any things we talked about uh, challenges a bit are there any strengths that you see in queer individuals and their finances absolutely yes so that's a good one our queer community have a very strong buying power in Mm. the united states very strong buying power in the United States and household incomes are higher Mm -hmm. typically than the heterosexual incomes. Mm. When you combine a household, I'm sure there's like age ranges to this and I don't have the exact data there, but it's pretty neat to hear that the the data stating that LGBTQ plus are one of the one of the segments of folks that are, that are increasing their buying power in the U S it's like, like, okay, we, we have, we're, we're, we're dropping some money in our, in our, in our our community, in our businesses, all of that. I feel like that's something that to me feels very empowering to know that like, Hey, look, we've got corporations, businesses want our money. Uh-huh. When I think about it from that side of like, oh, they want what I have, uh-huh. I always feel a lot more empowered. Like, well, great, then I'm going to make some wise decisions because I'm not the one that's like begging here. Like, you want what I have, and I don't have to just kind of like grovel. Yeah, <laughs> <for> it. <laughs> I love it. I love. It. Yeah. It's so true, though. It's so true. There's yeah. we're we're important buyers in our community in our community whether yeah. it's local space national space uh, and it's probably why we're also seeing a lot of amongst other things but we're seeing a lot of companies really focus on capturing this business mm-hmm. yeah and really yeah. helping our community so 
Definitely. And I think that's sort of a, a way that we can all start thinking about, okay, well, then how do we leverage this in our workspaces or or if you're wanting to purchase something? Like, how do you use that, again, to your advantage instead of feeling like, oh, something, I have to hide this part of me. Okay. Can that be something that's at the forefront that's actually like your your identity being an ally for you instead of feeling like your identity is a hindrance yeah. for you in that realm? Exactly. Are there any, do you have any like top tips for the community for planning for a better financial future? Really good question. So top tips. So one is, I think the, the first one is start with, the first one always is start with like, start with the budget is understanding what's coming in every month, what has to come out every month. Mm-hmm. A good rule of thumb is 60% of expenses goes, go towards, sorry, 60% of income goes towards expenses, like your okay. normal day to day. 20% goes towards your future self. Always recommend to look at saving or investing, putting money away as uh, as a bill. It's like you're going to pay your rent or you're going to pay your mortgage. Mm-hmm. Pay yourself too. And then the last 20% goes to whatever you want to spend on. Like whatever you want, guilt-free. So you're giving yourself permission to spend. So that's one. As your rate, as you your income increases, always recommend too to increase your savings or investments to like what you're contributing. It's so easy for us to increase our lifestyle spending. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do we do both? So I always like operate in percentages. So budgeting, that's one. The other one is, is start having the, a conversation with a, with a planner, with an advisor, start having a conversation, develop a financial plan, regardless of what stage in life you're in is understand what are the short-term and long-term goals you, you want in life. And it's, they're always change. Like they always, always change. So it's okay that we don't have like the, the perfect, like we don't have, we don't know exactly what we want in five years or in 10 years or in 20 years. That's okay. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, and then just to start somewhere, always recommend to do things to make sure that they're setting themselves with a very strong foundation. I, I like to use the analogy of a financial house. When you purchase a house, you're always going to double check if there's, if the foundation of that house is really strong. Mm. So from a financial planning perspective, let's make sure that you have a very strong, strong foundation. So talk to a financial advisor, have that conversation, get to build a relationship. And then little by little, you'll see the progress. That's the, that's one thing that I wish I had done sooner, even for myself. Marisela, my wife says the same thing that she wishes she had done things sooner too. We don't know what we don't know. Right. And, but then we learn Yeah. like the, okay, let's just keep on going. There's progress. Yeah. Okay. So potential roadblock I'm seeing here is what about the person that's like, okay, that all sounds great, but like I'm panicked because my finances are so tight. How much is it going to cost me to talk with an advisor? How can I even afford to be able to do that? Yeah, that's, that's, a that's so true. And I, I, I can see that those, those come up. So it depends. So there are, there are folks that really focus primarily on more like budgeting there. There's, 
you probably would pay some type of fee, probably a few hundred dollars a month to speak to someone that is only going to really focus on budgeting. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a great first way. But yes, you're probably looking at a few hundred dollars of an investment in there per month for a financial planner, financial advisor. Some charge a flat fee just to have conversations as well. Some don't. Personally, I've operated my business not charging that upfront fee. So it's really just a conversation. There is no charge to have the meetings, to have the conversations. We just ask to share the love of financial planning, right? Because instead of putting thousands of thousands of thousands of dollars into marketing, we'd say, well, we want to just serve our community. And the way we grow the grow is through word of mouth, through favorable mm-hmm. introductions, all of that. So I, there are advisors out there, myself included, that will not charge that upfront fee, which can be several thousands of dollars. Most times. Huh. Amazing. So someone listening right now with that exact situation could say, okay, great. I'm going to, I'm going to call up Melissa after this interview and, <laughs> and be like, excuse me, I need some help. Where do I get started? Yeah, and you'd be able to get them started. Yeah, absolutely. We would we would spend a little spend some time, have that conversation, direct the right way, mm-hmm. kind of give some suggestions on what to do, on um, some tools as well. Like we've we've have we've helped some people where where we we give them some guidelines, some tools as yeah. to what they need to do to get out of some debt to build a strong emergency fund. And then we pretty much say, this is this kind of like the homework over the next three months or six months or a year. And again, they're adults. They're responsible for, for implementing all of that. And then after that, then it's the Melissa, we did it. We're, we're done. We're almost done. Now it's the, okay, let's focus on some longer term planning versus solely paying off debt. But, and again, debt was just an example, but we've done that several times. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, cool. So uh, looping back to something that we talked about earlier, I want to shift the conversation more towards families for a bit. For queer families, what should they keep in mind as far as navigating um, estate planning or insurance or other things that are unique to queer families? For queer families, so estate planning is absolutely obtain a trust, absolutely a trust if you're if you have assets to to protect and pass down to each other, and making sure that beneficiaries are up to date. Because uh, again, some states are just not going to honor that. Again, they're not going to honor if someone's not married, and sometimes they will. Mm. But again, every state is different. So having a trust and updating beneficiaries for insurance, I'm highly encourage folks to be proactive about life insurance, be proactive about protecting their income. Our ability to earn an income is what pays the bills, what helps us save money and everything. And that's a big area that's missed. And there, there can be times where we just can't go to work and that can be very detrimental to the debt that we just paid off the savings account that we just built. And now we can't go to work for six months for X, Y, Z reason. So those are at least a little, a little bit on the insurance side. Longer term for insurance would be long-term care mm-hmm. planning. Long-term care for my queer clients, their concern tends to be, and even for myself too, their concern tends to be, 
how much is this going to cost? Who's going to take care of me when I get older if I don't have kids? Right. Because a lot of times what happens is kids become the, the plan that's very yes. common. And the state doesn't pay for this stuff. Or the government doesn't pay for this stuff. So then if we don't have kids, then what is who's left? Mm-hmm. So we really have to self-fund and practically plan for this. But there is a way to have an insurance company kind of pay that bill for you so love that i feel like that, that's that's like right there the answer i wanted to hear it was like okay wait a minute hold on yeah. <laughs> how much yeah. are oh you sure God. no one else is gonna help with this because i pay so much goddamn money in taxes and insurances like are you sure <laughs> yeah. that one that one one's, that one's a tough one that one's mm-hmm. a tough one because it's very unfortunately it's very expensive process to go through long-term mm-hmm. care so southern california on the low end, it's about $5,000 a month in today's dollars. Right. I don't just to pay for that. Yep. And that's for the best care. And that's, that rate is skyrocketing year yeah. over year. So we can imagine when you and I are, are well, yeah, a little bit, a little bit older, we're probably going to still be super healthy. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully independent living. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, as you said, that's not always guaranteed. And right. it's like a lot of financial planning is to like kind of help with that thing. The the fact mm-hmm. that life isn't 100% guaranteed. Right. Preparing for those unexpected things. Right. It's, it's exactly prepare for the unexpected, but plan for a really good tomorrow and then mm-hmm. figure out how do you still plan for those things, but still have an amazing life today yeah. versus saying I'm only I'm working to only plan for tomorrow. That's not most of most people want to have a very balanced life that they're get enjoying today, but they're planning for a good tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. What, what could someone do then to start connecting with a financial advisor or finding more information? Absolutely. Well, you mentioned it earlier that I absolutely am happy to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy to help. So they're more than welcome to reach out through my website. There's there's a way to just kind of like fill out like a little questionnaire and then it'll send me a, a link or a, a note to contact and then schedule a time together. So that's going to be one way. But of course, I'm on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and Instagram, all those good social media channels. They can reach out to me. Yeah. One of the reasons I w- really wanted to have you was so that anyone that's listening, that's like, hey, I really want to start working on my financial picture, but most financial advice out there doesn't feel like it includes me or even is aware of what are the things that I need to look out for as someone in the LGBTQ plus community. So absolutely y'all get yourself connected with Melissa. She's going to actually understand the challenges, the unique challenges that you're going to face that you have thought of, or that you may not have thought of at all. So I really appreciate that about you and your expertise. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. Let's do two questions from the audience. So Dr. Gretchen Seitz, I hope I am saying your last name correctly. (laughs) She asks, is it possible to generate wealth without investing in real estate? Really good question. And the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely. Yes. So there is no right or wrong way on how to 
build wealth or generational wealth. I think I do believe social media has taught a lot of us that the only way to do it is through real estate. Right. right? I think that's that's very common. I think that is a way to do it, but not the only way to do it. The best way to approach it from a planning perspective is to diversify assets and have different ways, different wealth building tools. Have to think about yes, real estate is a great is a, is a great tool. Um, however, has its down has its downsides. Mm-hmm. Or in some investment accounts are great tools, but they have some downsides. So there's everything's going to have a pro and have a con. There's no unicorn product out there that's going to be perfect, but it is what feels right to you as a person versus doing something that maybe just doesn't feel right. Like not everybody wants to be a property manager and have be a landlord. Right. Not everybody. Right. But I think it's, I, I think our society has made every a lot of people believe that that's the only way to build wealth. And that's absolutely not true. Best way to look at it is, is based on habits. So what's the percentage of income that we're actually putting away and that's growing, right? Mm. So it's in certain like savings, investment accounts and, and or real estate, but the percentage of our incomes, that's what's going, that we're actually putting away. That's what's going to grow over time. Right. Oh. If we're not putting anything away, that makes it very challenging. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing's growing because it's not. Nothing's growing. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> that on a, right there, that's something that I really appreciated the first time that we hung out and got coffee and like talks yeah. was just that you really center the how on values. Mm-hmm. I felt really comfortable talking with you and understanding that like, okay, wait a minute, you're not someone that's going to come with a plan of, okay, well, here's the step one through seven, you have to do all of these. And if you don't like them, then, you know, get over it. Or, or, sorry, you're just hopeless, you're never going to be able to have the financial future you want. And that is kind of the way that I felt like I was being talked to Mm -hmm. in other financial settings was like, you have to do these specific things. And if you don't, you cannot succeed financially, Mm -hmm. or even that there's something almost like wrong with you if you don't like this. And some of us have like certain moral obligations with certain ways of investing our finances. Mm -hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably maybe more common in the queer community than it is mm-hmm. outside the community for us to be more aware of where we're putting our money and, and being a little more conscious of, I don't want just growth. I also want to be doing good with how I invest my money. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's so common. That is very, very common. The social responsible investing that is something that is m- more talked about now and it's it's important people want to align their values to what they're putting their money towards like or even what stores they go to Mm -hmm. are they going to what business are they going to pay into for products or services we look at like the hrc scores we look at a lot like to make sure that they're in alignment yeah absolutely All right. The second question I have is from Mario and he said, are there expenses unique to the LGBTQ community that we should plan for? 
Good question. I think I touched on one or a little earlier on the long-term care planning. I think mm-hmm. that one for sure, not a huge concern as a younger individual, but as we get older, it's something that would play a role. So that's going to be one. And the other one is really paying attention to employer benefits. Mm-hmm. What are the benefits that you have access to if you again, if you're looking to transition, uh, are those, is that covered through work, right? Or what portion, what, what part of it is covered? What part of it is not? Or if we're looking to expand the family, start, start a family, does your employer offer some help or not? Uh, So I think it's a lot of it is employer based. I think those are the two main ones that at least pop up to mind right now. Yeah. Those are great. All right. Lastly, give us a little preview of what they can expect if they reach out to you. What does it look like to work with you? So typically we would have a, an introductory conversation and it's a, it's a conversation just to understand what's important, what the goals are of that individual, that family, or that couple, whoever it is. Understand their current story as to where they're at financially, how they got there, all that. And then understand what they're not doing. It's, it's, and it's, I ask a lot of questions, ask a lot of questions just to understand the story. Um, and it's, I can say it's a judgment free zone. So can no right or wrong answers. It's just really understanding what the current scenario is and where you're headed or the individual's headed. Um, and then assuming we agree on having another conversation, typically we would, uh, have another meeting. And that's when I would share a little bit more of those observations of the, this is what like steps to take or strategies to do. And then at that point we can say, okay, should we actually formalize this relationship and really work together? Should we follow up in a few months and, or like, should we reconnect in a, another week or is it another six months, whatever it is, we can figure out cadence at that point. But the first conversation I can say, it's a very, it's just an open conversation where we're figuring out and can we be of value and help in any way, shape or form, or maybe is it not, maybe is we're, we're going to give a couple of pieces of advice and say, let's connect again in six months. Mm. So again, that's, it's, I'd say it's a very simple conversation. The most I say to, to be prepared for is have a budget. And I would share like a blank budget to complete pre-fill prior to the conversation. So that we can focus on that. Okay. Love it. All right. Where can they find you? How can people work with you? And who can work with you? Absolutely. Great. So a few places to find me. So one is on my website. So that is melissagonzalez.nm.com. So that's one. And of course, there's Instagram. And then there's a LinkedIn but the, the best places to get in contact, at least to schedule would be my website or LinkedIn are the best places for scheduling. But Instagram, absolutely send me a message and then we can always schedule. Awesome. And I'll have all that linked up in the show notes for you. And you work with anyone in the US, right? Yes, yes. Yep. So we have access to clients all over, the, all over the US. We're right now licensed in, I might be off at, maybe 28, 29 different states. Okay. Uh, so for whatever reason, I'm not, not, not licensed in that specific state, then absolutely just 
get licensed super quickly. So that's pretty simple. Okay. Awesome. But the dog is in the US. Yeah. All right. I love it. All right. Lastly, I want to just note everyone go to the show notes you don't even have to remember those links that all everything will be down in the show notes for you so you can easily connect with melissa and if you want to be able to ask questions on future episodes make sure that you visit the link in the show notes to get involved in the instagram channel once you're in there you'll be able to ask questions for future guests all right any final words of wisdom, advice, confidence, love that you want to share with us, Melissa? <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. Well, one, thank you for having me. This was awesome. You're so welcome. Uh, absolutely. And, and I say this, it's everybody's financial journey is different. So a piece of advice is focus on like your, like yourself on, on your individual finances and not compare mm. life to someone else. It's so easy to play the comparison game. And I think as long as we focus on just our daily habits, improving little by little, we will go far. Like you'll go far financially. And again, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just your, it's your path. It's whatever, kind of wherever you want to go. That's where you'll go. But huh. Amazing. I think that that comparison mentality is so difficult to get out of. So mm-hmm. thank you for the reminder because it makes such a big difference. And mm-hmm. we do realize that, oh, okay, that's what's happening and put that aside. There's yeah. so much more. I, I think our financial pictures can look so much more hopeful and exciting when we're not comparing to anyone else. Exactly. So. exactly. It's your journey. You're an individual. Yep. Yeah. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing all of your wisdom with us. I really appreciate you being here. Absolutely. You're so sweet. Thanks, Alex. You're welcome. All right, everyone. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with a friend so they too can become more confident. You can also help more people find the show by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen. And if you want to become a more confident queer with support from yours truly, head to coachalexray.com or use the link down in the show notes. I'm looking forward to working with you.